Stand together, take your hymn books and turn to page nine. Page nine in your hymn books. Oh, worship the King. Amen. Page nine. Oh, worship the King. Oh, glorious above and gratefully sing. Six five zero redeemed, amen. Six five zero. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child and forever. continually dwell redeemed 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 by the blood of the lamb redeemed redeemed his child and forever I am I think of my blessed redeemer I think of him all the day long I sing for Love is the theme of my song, redeemed, 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 redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed, redeemed, his child and forever I am. I know I shall see in his beauty the King in whose law I delight. to sing these pra- these songs, these praises in a way that would be glorifying to thy name. Lord, we ask that the preaching of your word would bring us closer to you and help those who do not know you yet to understand what it means to simply trust Jesus as their Savior. Lord, we ask that each and every part of this service would bring glory to your name and allow us to be the servants of the Most High God. 
In your name we pray. Amen. All right, now let's turn to 600-601, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. Sing up there. 
Bibles, if you would, and let's go to Matthew chapter 7, where we're going to start. We're going to move through the scriptures just a little bit, look at several different passages this morning, and uh, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 7, and uh, though what's in the bulletin is not actually the title of the message, I, I think we do as a church, as people who believe in God, who believe in prayer have a responsibility to pray for God for those people who are suffering. Amen? And uh, we should remember to do that and be careful to do that. And as I was thinking about that, and, and it's been a little while since we've had a message on Sunday morning on prayer, and so I would like for us just to do a brief overview of, of what prayer is, what prayer isn't this morning, and how our prayer should actually be working. And we start in uh, Matthew chapter 7, and God has given us an illustration here. Jesus is teaching in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And in verse 9 it says, Or what man is there of you, whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, 
How much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Now, prayer is simply talking to God. Amen. Now, I I read a book and have often mentioned this. It was written by uh, what we would call a a, a well-known man in, in Christian circles and And he said, prayer is asking. But the example that uh, Jesus is giving here in this sermon is a child asking his father. Now, if, uh, if you're a parent and the only time your children come to you, please may I have. Please may I have. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Is, let me ask you a question, parents. Is that much of a relationship? I always wonder about that when they're going through the store. I want this and I want that. The reason got problems in the stores is because there's problems at home, let me tell you. And the first part that we need to talk about prayer is there has to be a relationship established if you want God to hear and answer your prayers. Amen? And, and I'm not trying to be rude, uh, but if one of your children come up and they say, Pastor, I want a drink of water, you know what? I'm going to get them a drink of water. There's a whole water fountain back there. If they say, Pastor, I want to go to college, I'm going to say, go ask your dad. Amen? But it's a little different than one one of my kids say, Dad, I want to go to college. I said, I'm going to give you the same privilege my parents gave me. Go out there and work for it. Amen. But we have to make allowances and help your children get there and give them the guidance and direction uh, they need. But simply, prayer to God demands that there be a relationship there first. How do I become God's child? Well, it's very simple. How did you become the child of your parents? You were born that way. Amen? God said, if you want to become my child, you must be born again. Just like you were born physically, you must be born spiritually. You must be born into God's family. You can't always have been a Christian. It doesn't work that way. Just like you can't always have been a sinner. Paul said, I was alive without the law once. Little children are not held responsible for what they do because they don't understand. But as I look out over our congregation here today... We sent all the little children downstairs. So there is no one here with an excuse. Amen or oh me or... I mean, we're, we're together on this thing. We don't have an excuse. And Jesus is teaching here in verse 7 and 8. He tells us to ask. And if we'll ask, we're to seek, we're to knock. Because God wants to answer prayer. And then he gives this example, and really he's, what he's saying is in, the, uh, in our Bible, it says, or what man is there of you? He said, what in the world kind of man would it be? This is a ridiculous, uh, exaggerated example. If a son came to his father and asked for something to eat, asked for some bread, would you give him a stone? What kind of man would do that? kind of man that belongs in jail. That's the kind of man that would do that kind of thing. That is, there's something abnormal about a man who would refuse to feed his own children. Amen? And he said, if he asked a fish, would you give him a snake? Something that could possibly injure him or even kill him? What kind of, what kind of person would do that? Let me tell you, we could go down into the darkest uh, dungeons of depravity in this city and we'll find little children down there now, won't we? 
But they give them food, not rocks. They give them something they can really eat, not something that will destroy them. And there are a few examples of perversion beyond perversion whose only living is to hurt and harm little children, but that's not what we're talking about here. It says, if ye then being evil... Now, what Jesus simply means by that is not that you're out killing somebody every day or some horrible thing. He says, for all have what? Sin. There's not a one of us in this room that does not have sin. There wasn't a a person that Jesus was addressing that had not transgressed God's commandments, not just once, but many times, over and over again. That is the human situation we find ourselves And yet we still know how to give our children good things. So oftentimes when we pray, here's the point Jesus is trying to make here. Are we accusing God of being a perverted father when we go to him in prayer? Because we we try to manipulate him sometimes. Oh dear God, you know I really don't deserve this and... And, and, and you're such a good God, and I, I, I just really need this. Let me, let me tell you something. Be careful. In that kind of praying, you're accusing God of being less than who he is. God is always good, my friend. He is never any less than good. Because then he would have ceased being God. You say, why do bad things happen to good people? I can't answer that question completely. But I can tell you, sometimes God allows bad things to happen to good people because he wants us to pray. But just looking up to heaven and starting to talk, does not necessarily mean your prayers are headed in that direction, now does it? You first have to have that relationship. God is saying, I am obligated to my children much more than any earthly father is obligated to his physical children. I am much better than any physical father because I have never sinned. I am incapable of sinning. I can only do what is best. Physical fathers are going to sin. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to do things that are less than best. It says, but they know how to give good things to their children. How much more do I know how to give good things to my children? Now, did you get the last part of this verse here? To them... That, what's that next word? Let's say it out loud. To them that, let's try that one more time. Think, to them that ask him. You go through the Old Testament, and we don't have time this morning to do this, but we could pick up many examples of people who ask or try to get God to bless or do something that God wasn't necessarily involved in. I may remember where Ishmael came from. Sarah prayed to Abraham. It says there, she prayed to Abraham, her husband, says, I can't have a child, but my uh, maidservant, my slave probably could, and so why don't you just get another wife here, and, and, we'll, and I'll claim the child. Now, that was uh, what we call surrogate motherhood. And it was alive and well 2,000 years before Christ. And, but did it produce God's blessing? Absolutely not. In fact, one of the greatest problems we have in this world today are the descendants of Ishmael hating the descendants of Isaac. You better be careful who you ask. And if you're going to ask God as your father, 
it would behoove you, it would be best to make sure that he actually is your father. That's what gives you the rights and privileges of approaching to him. You must be born into his family. There's an obligation. It's absolutely amazing to me that the creator God of the universe says that if you will believe on Jesus Christ, if you will put your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross, I will obligate myself to you as the creator of the universe in the same way that your earthly father is obligated to his earthly children. Only I'm not capable of doing anything wrong. I'm not capable of giving you anything that's less than best. I'm not capable of making a mistake. Now, if that just doesn't go, wow, then you probably didn't understand what I just said. Because this is the creator God of the universe saying, I will obligate myself. I'm going to put myself under constraints to have to listen to you and to provide for you and to take care of you and to shelter you and to do those things that a father would do. Now that is a great promise. Jesus, through Paul in the book of in uh, Corinthians said, Wherefore, come out from among them and touch not the unclean thing. He says, I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now that is a promise. It says, Come out from among them and be ye separate. God wants us to have a relationship with Him. He wants to be obligated to hear us. But let me explain some things to you. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. God will not, never has, and never will allow you in this obligation as a father. He's not going to allow you just to do whatever you want and give you whatever you want. And and I've often said this, and it is true, it bears much repeating. If you really hate your children, if you want to destroy them, just say yes all the time. Just give them whatever they want, and you will destroy your children. I, I promise you that. It's part of dad's duty to teach his children the meaning of the word no. In fact, somebody got me, I think it was Rachel, found me a bumper sticker. I have it under the glass in my desk. It says, what part of no don't you understand? Uh, And we were joking about it on the way back from the men's meeting. I said, it's real easy to be pastor. All I do is say no. Pastor, what do you think about no? But you didn't even hear me. Well, go ahead and tell me. They tell me, no. You know, most oftentimes if you have to say, Pastor, what do you think about it? You already know the answer now, don't you? And sometimes it helps just to hear somebody say, no. But look at 1 Peter 3, 7. It says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, talking about their wives, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Now, that last phrase there, what's it say? That your prayers be not hindered. Now, let me tell you something. There's a lot that can hinder your prayers. You must have that relationship with God. Peter is writing to people who are saved. He's explaining to the wives how they ought to behave. And he makes this statement, Husbands, you need to dwell with them according to knowledge. Uh, That means you need to understand what's going on in your house. 
And it says, giving honor unto the wife as the weaker vessel, that does not mean that uh, uh, she necessarily must be physically weaker than you. What it is talking about, the best illustration I can give is the difference between a Coke bottle and don't we use Coke bottles and put flowers in them sometimes? But that's a vase. If it's expensive, it's a vase. That's what I've been told. But you take one of those very expensive porcelain vases. You don't treat it like a Coke bottle now, do you? If you do, you're going to destroy it. Men, this verse is saying you must give her honor as you would a precious, priceless vessel that could be broken. And by the way, your wife will be what you want her to be. She'll be the queen of the palace or the galley slave, but it's your job to give her honor and put her in that position. And uh, ladies, you don't have to compete with a godly husband to prove that you're just as good as he is. Because we men have very sensitive egos. And, And you can destroy your husband's leadership by competing with him. And he'll never be the man that God wants him to be. Now that's a whole other lesson. has nothing to do with the message this morning. Except for the fact that if you're not living right at home. And by the way the application here ladies is to you too. If you're not living right at home your prayers are going to be hindered. Now how many of you have ever been in an emergency situation. Where you needed God to answer your prayers. only to find out that your prayers are being hindered. You ever wonder why God sometimes does not answer your prayers when you need to have them answered the most? You've established that relationship. You have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been born into God's family. 1 John 1, 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. It says, if we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar. Do you think calling God a liar will hinder your prayers? Uh, let me tell you, let me, it, it's going to hinder your prayers. Because you cannot offend a holy God and expect Him to answer your prayers. And by the way, if you're deceiving yourself about your own sin, uh, don't you think there's a pretty good chance you're deceiving yourself about a lot of other things? And let me promise you, your prayers are going to be hindered. As I think about the suffering and the families that are facing things that are just absolutely unbelievable on the island of Japan, the nation of Japan this morning, I'm thankful that there's a God in heaven that hears prayers and can already do things that only He can do. Amen? But if you're going to learn to pray, it's going to be because you're walking with the Lord today. You will not have time, you do not have time when the emergency happens to go home and shut yourself in your prayer closet for two or three days and get everything straightened out and confess with the Lord that you haven't been dealing with for the last six months and then say, God, please hear my prayer because it's too late. You need to be walking with God today. This is Bible Christianity. This is where it needs to be. If you're not going to obey the Bible today, don't expect God to answer your prayers tomorrow. 
If you want to be ready to pray in any situation, the way to do that is be where you're supposed to be today. And I know that's not exciting and it doesn't make little tingles run up and down your spine. And it doesn't make you feel good about yourself because what we're faced with is all the wrong things we do. But the Bible does say if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. God is there. We need to be right with him and walk with him. Turn back just a few pages in your Bible. James chapter 5. I'll tell you, sometimes God sends sickness. God sends affliction because he wants us to pray. Look at verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, James is just writing this book here to believers. It talks about the um, those that are scattered abroad. And so he is telling them, listen, is any among you, by the way, how would you know if someone was among you or not unless you were meeting together somehow? I, I think the local church is in there, if you'll just look a little bit. If they're afflicted, if you're having problems, my friend, Pray. Establish that relationship with God. Walk with Him that your prayers be not hindered. If there's someone sick, it said call for the elders of the church. And people have made a big deal about this anointing Him with oil in the name of the Lord. And I've had several people say, Pastor, do you anoint with oil? And... uh, no, we, we do not, as a matter of service, bring people up to the front and put oil on them. I believe the simplest and most complete understanding of that passage was that oil, if you study ancient history at all, was one of the greatest medicinal things that mankind had. In fact, today, if you have an earache, faster than any antibiotic, faster than any other thing, just a little olive oil, will help heal that earache faster than just about anything else. I don't believe God's against medicine. But let me tell you, if you ever have to go under the surgeon's knife, I want people praying for me. Amen? I want people praying for that doctor. Somebody said, uh, uh, I, I want to make sure the doctor's saved. I'm not worried about whether the doctor is necessarily saved or not. I'm worried about whether God's people are praying for the doctor because God can use the doctor whether he's saved or not. And, and I think it would be a whole lot easier for him to use a skilled doctor that is unsaved than an unskilled doctor that is. Amen? Uh, I mean, why can't we just apply a little bit of what the Bible's talking about here? If you have a headache, it's okay to take some aspirin. Unless you're 15 year olds and have flu-like symptoms or have bleeding ulcers. or uh, uh, I get a little tired of all that stuff, don't you? But it is good to take a warning and be careful. Don't just go to the medicine cabinet and get anything. Make sure that it applies to your situation. Amen? Use a little sense there. But... We need to understand that if we're going to seek medical help and physical help, we need to do so in the Lord. Amen? Pray. It says here in verse 15, And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. 
And the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now, does that mean that God's going to heal every time? No, it does not. But what it does mean that if God is choosing to heal that person, even though they are seeking medical attention and all of this, God is the one that actually gives the healing. And it's proven beyond any shadow of any doubt that your personal attitude and your heart attitude is the most important thing when you're dealing with sickness. If you're all down and depressed, guess what? You could die of the common flu. If you want to live and be encouraged, and look at all the problems that the Lord will take care of. It says, if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. It says, the Lord shall raise him up. Now, there have been some times in my life where I've been so sick that I couldn't even pray for myself. Or anyone else for that matter. I'll tell you what, I'm glad there were some other people praying for me. I remember laying in the bed here and the doctors tell my mom and dad that if something doesn't happen soon, this boy might not make it. I'm thinking, boy, this is kind of scary. But I was too sick to talk about it, I'll tell you that. Let me tell you something. It's the prayer of faith that does the work. But how do you get a prayer of faith? You wait until that, oh, I feel it. It's coming over me. No, that may have been just too much hot sauce on the chicken wings the night before. It will do that. Let me tell you, faith is what? Believing in God's Word. Amen? How do you put your faith in Jesus Christ? The Bible says that he died for me on the cross to pay the price for my sins. And that's the only thing I'm trusting to get to heaven. I believe God's word. So how am I going to pray the prayer of faith? Well, that means that I'm going to do a little investigating in this book concerning the person I'm praying for, and I'm going to ask God to help me understand what the Bible says about that person and pray for them according to the Scriptures. Sometimes we say, Lord, I just want to pray your will be done. You know what? That's what Jesus prayed in the garden. But let me ask you a question. When Jesus was praying, thy will be done, did he not already know what God's will was to be done? That's what made it a prayer of faith. When you're sitting up there mindlessly numb and say, well, I have no idea what the Lord should do, but I'm just going to pray. That's not a prayer of faith, my friend. Get into the Word of God for, on behalf of that person and pray for them. That's why it says the Lord shall raise him up and if he have committed sins they shall be forgiven him because that's what the Bible says is God's will for every person. Amen? He wants us to get sin out of our lives. Does He not? He wants us to be used in His service. Does He not? And so when we talk about praying the prayer of faith, that's why this next verse says, confess your faults one to another. You know, when I've offended another person, I don't only need to go and say, I'm sorry. You know, we have taken the English language and have just made it. What does it mean to be sorry? I mean, some of us were born that way. Isn't that true? And some of us are just sorry people because we're not letting God's work do its work in our lives. What we need to do is we need to say, please forgive me for the wrong things that I did against you. Now, that takes a little courage, doesn't it? 
But that's what it means, confess your faults one to another. It doesn't mean that you get the list of sins that are in your life and go tell someone else all that list of sins. It means you go find the people that you have hurt and you confess your wrong to that person so the relationship can be restored because that's what the Bible says to do. Amen? I don't need to confess the fact that this person over here came to me and hurt me and I feel bad about it. That's called gossip. I need to go to that person whom I've offended and you let God take care of the people who have hurt you. And let me tell you, he will. After you take care of the people you hurt, after you start walking with him, that your prayers be not hindered. I mean, if I ask the question, let's just do it. How many of you want God to answer your prayers? Just raise your hand. Okay, do we have anyone in here that says, I don't want God to answer my prayers. I just want to talk into the air. I didn't think we had anybody like that today. If we do, please see me after the service. We'll try to help. But... Most of us want God to answer our prayers, but let me tell you, they're not going to be answered if they're hindered. And they're not going to be answered if they're not of faith, if they're not based in the Word of God. That's why we have to be careful. And we often joke about this. I mean, you turn on a certain cable network and and you'll hear them talking about how the God gave me a new car and gave my wife a fur coat and Game and all of these things, and I've never been sick. And why did one of those faith healers open a hospital? He did. His name is Oral Roberts, Oral Roberts University, to train medical students. Because let me tell you something God doesn't intend to give credit for His work to individuals. That's why he doesn't need the reverend so-and-so to set up his tent outside of town and have everybody come and get touched and all this kind of stuff. It's the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man that availeth much. Would you be willing to walk with the Lord on a daily basis? If you're struggling with sin in your life, just try to walk with the Lord today and walk with Him tomorrow. Guess what? You either have to deal with sin so you can walk with the Lord or you'll quit walking with the Lord so you can continue on in your sin. You cannot do both. This is what Scripture is talking about with prayer. Establish that relationship. Be born into God's family. Confess your sins, but realize that if I do not walk that walk, my prayers are going to be hindered. If I'm not living for God at home, if I don't have things right with my family members in my own home, how is God going to hear my prayers Because it's the effectual, that means prayer that gets something done. It has an effect. Fervent, that means just real. Hot, sincere, of the earnest of your soul. A righteous man, that's somebody that's walking with the Lord. Those are the kind of prayers that get answered. Now let's turn to one more passage and we'll be done. Romans chapter 15. Because God didn't mean for you just to pray for yourself and for you just to pray for others. Romans chapter 15. I want to read verse 29 to put this in context. Paul is writing a letter to the Christians of Rome. In verse 29, he says, And I am sure that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. 
Now, my old Bible used to have a big wide margin around all of the printed text, and I would write little notes in that. And right beside that verse, I wrote in chains, because that's how Paul got to Rome. In the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Paul had been a prisoner for two years in the city of Caesarea, He had been just left in prison and forgotten about by the Roman governor. But he said here, and this was before all of this happened, he said, I trust, I believe that when I come to you, I'm going to come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. And he would write from his prison cell in Rome to the Philippians that his bonds were actually to the furtherance of the gospel. Now, how does that work? It works when you're obedient to Christ. Now, look here at verse 30. Now, I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that's capitalized, the Holy Spirit of God, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Did you get that? He says that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Now, I believe this verse, this phrase here, is the epitome of what ought to happen in our church every Sunday night at prayer meeting. And I'll probably uh, be the first to voice it out loud that that doesn't always happen. Because if we come to prayer meeting and our prayers are hindered because we're not living right at home, if we're not walking with the Lord and praying in faith, how are we going to strive together with someone else to have our prayers answered? And let me tell you, we need to have some prayers answered. As a church, I know some people are sitting here right here today that are carrying burdens that are just too heavy to be carried by a human being. And they're just crushing and and trying to grind the life out of you. Let me tell you what the answer to that is. It is other believers in Christ striving together with you in their prayers to God for you, that's the answer. Amen? How many times have you seen God do something in your life because someone else was praying for you? I mean, you're sitting in a building here that was prayed for by churches all across this country. We call it the miracle on 35th Street because it is a miracle and it's on 35th Street and God did it right here for our little church. But you know what God's expecting us to do? Is to return the miracle to other churches and to be blessing to other works and to be faithful in our prayers. Let me tell you, prayer is a work. Prayer is an effort. And if there's any reason why I've been just a little bit uh, resistant in setting up another day of fasting and prayer in our church is because I don't want it to be just a day of fasting and prayer. I want it to be a day where we strive together in our prayers to God for things that must be done so that we can see the mighty hand of God working. Now, God does not need our prayers to work. He's God. But many times God will not do things because we don't ask, number one. We ask the wrong way, number two. We ask for the wrong things. But if we'll pray a prayer of faith, That's a prayer according to this book called the Bible, according to God's Word. Then we can know 
that what we're praying for is what God wants to do. Amen? I think one of the things that we need to pray for as a church, that we need to strive and, and work together is how many of you would like to see some of these empty spaces filled up with bodies? Amen? But I'll tell you that's not going to happen until we start praying God's way. Amen? Prayer doesn't change God. God doesn't need to be changed. But it sure changes us. One of the greatest hindrances to answered prayer is the lives of the people who are praying. And so today's message is simply this. The greatest promise in the Scripture outside our salvation, it's integral with it, it's included with it, is we put our faith and trust as we pray and ask God to save us as we believe what the Bible simply says about our sinful state, what Jesus Christ has done to save us, we ask Him, the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? That God of heaven obligates Himself to take care of us as a father would his children. That means He's obligated to listen to our prayers. I mean, as a father, I have to listen to my children, even if it's nonsense. Isn't that true? I mean, I was gone for two and a half days, and man alive, Joey, he just had some things to say. And if I pushed him away and said, listen, Daddy's tired. Daddy's got things to do. I would hurt little Joey. But let me ask you a question. Did Joey have anything that was actually of any importance to say to me? Well, to him, yes. But in the scope of what was going on, absolutely not. But if I didn't take time to listen to him, I'd hurt him now, wouldn't I? Now, let me tell you something. God does the same thing with you. But if you've been saved for five years, should God have to talk to you, put up with you like a two-year-old? Let me tell you something. He will because he's God. But that doesn't mean he wants to. That doesn't mean that's what's best in your life. Amen? There's an obligation on God's part to listen to us, whether it makes sense or not. But God, as a good Father, is not going to help us or allow us to do something wrong. Amen? But when we pray that prayer of faith according to God's word, walking in the path that God has set for us, he allows us to strive together in our prayers and see things accomplished. Amen? Now, how many of you would like to be a part of that? Show up for prayer meeting tonight. Uh Uh-oh. What did I just say I'd do? You can't strive together if you're at home. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. I'll be thinking about you, Pastor. Well, you do that. But it's not going to answer your prayers. And by the way, you can't help me bear the burden of what's going on unless you're a hold of the same rope that I am. Amen? And let me tell you something. Your pastor could use a little help bearing some burdens. And you could use a little help bearing some burdens. And every one of us would benefit by being drawn closer together in our prayers for one another. Now, Paul asked the Romans to pray for him 
that he would be delivered from those people that did not believe in Judea. That's what it says. That I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. And that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. That I may come to you with joy by the will of God. And may with you be refreshed. Now Paul was put in prison in the city of Jerusalem for taking a gift to the saints at Jerusalem. He was in the temple. Did God answer that prayer the way that Paul wanted it to be answered? I don't think so. But God did answer that prayer the way God wanted it to be answered. And God did deliver Paul. They tried to beat him to death in the temple steps. Didn't happen. Forty men bound themselves by a curse that they would eat no bread or drink no water. They promised God that they would eat nothing or drink nothing until they had murdered Paul. Now that's pretty fanatical. But God delivered Paul, didn't he? Remember in the story of the shipwreck? The soldier said, let's kill the prisoners lest any of them escape. And God delivered Paul because he gave him special affection in the sight of the centurion and said, he, was, he, he didn't care about any other prisoners. Read the book of Acts. It said, but willing to spare Paul. I, I think God answered Paul's prayer, don't you? He kept him in prison. By the way, when Paul was in the city of Rome, what did he do? He preached the gospel every day to whoever would come to him. Was Paul thrown in jail in the city of Rome? No, he was already there. But it was house arrest. No one was going to attack Paul or try to stone him or hurt him in any way. He had the protection of Caesar himself to preach the gospel even to those that lived in Caesar's household. How in the world would Paul have had that opportunity if he were not living under house arrest in the city of Rome? Uh, let me tell you, God did answer Paul's prayers, but he answered them God's way, not Paul's way. And if any of us could make a willful and honest choice, I think we'd want God's way rather than my way. But that only happened when those in Rome strove together with Paul in their prayers for him. And even though Paul had to endure all of those things, we have no record of Paul ever losing his joy. Amen? Read it in the Bible. Read the last ten chapters of the book of Acts. Actually, you could read the last 18. It would be real good. That would be a great thing to do Sunday afternoon. Amen? But here's simply it. There's an awful lot that goes on in the name of prayer that has nothing to do with prayer. You've got to have a relationship. You've got to be walking with God. You've got to pray in faith according to God's Word. And once you get there, then you're able to strive together and help others bear their burdens and see God answer using your prayers to get his work done. Now, if you've ever been there, that's an exciting time. That's where the joy is. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would do your work in our hearts and lives today. The Lord, we, we ask that you would not have to put us as a church in great times of peril and uh, danger in order to teach us to pray. Lord, I pray that you would work in the heart of each one saved here today, that they would want to get those things out of their life that hinder their prayers, that they would want to get into the Word enough that they could pray a prayer of faith. 
Lord, we pray for those today that are not saved, that have yet to make that decision to trust Jesus as their Savior, that today would be the day that they would finally be able to let go of everything and grasp only Jesus. Lord, we pray for those who want to serve you with their lives, that they would be willing to strive together in prayer. We ask that you would help our church learn to worship you through its prayer. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and have Brother Franz come and lead us in the hymn of invitation.